0: Acts 16, 1-15 Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest, we're thankful that you were hanging out with us today and worshiping with us. And uh, we're here to talk about the nations today. That's, that's kind of our goal before I get in there, I just want to especially appeal to someone, if you are kind of new to Genesis, uh, our, our hope is to see people come to believe in Jesus and then to see them grow in their faith. And one of the things we do specifically for people who are kind of new to us, whether you have a background of faith and you grew up in church or whether you are um, kind of exploring faith and trying to figure this idea of Christianity out, we provide a small group experience that is designed to help Kind of get people used to what it means to be part of Genesis and understand our core beliefs to to really make sure you understand the gospel and that sort of thing. We call it our gospel class. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to start one of these. It's, a, like I said, a five-week small group experience. Uh, it, 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 it is a chance to get to know all of our elders and to interact with who we are. And so if you're new to Genesis, uh, there is information in your, your green folder. Uh, there's also a QR code in there uh, that you can scan to register, like scan that code with your phone. You can register for any of our events coming up and find more information about any of the stuff we have going on. But very specifically, if you were part of like kind of new here, and, and we would love to have you be a part of that experience. Um, you can scan that and register for that. The other way you can register for anything we have going on is on the green folder, there is a tear out. You just put your name on that and drop that in the, the offering or drop that in a basket over here on your way out, and we will get those as well. So if you're like, I'm not going to QR code it, but I can write it out, you're still one of those old school, I got to have a pen and paper in my hand, then we still have a way for you to do that with that green folder. Um, I want you to think about this. What is the single most important event that happened in Western history, and very specifically, maybe European history? We could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about the rise of the Greek Empire and, and the rise of Alexander the Great and his importance and, and how Greece like, like put Europe in the center of history rather than uh, what is uh, the Middle East. Um, we, we could talk about... <clears throat> uh, the rise of Plato and Aristotle and their philosophy. We could talk about uh, the rise of Rome and the Roman Empire and all the things that went on there. Uh, we, we could mention the Magna Carta and, and the development of that around uh, 1100 AD or talk about the Protestant Reformation and the rise of Luther followed by the Enlightenment. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could say. We could talk about uh, D-Day and, and the, the pushing back of the Germans in Europe. But I could make an argument today, and I think the argument would be super valid. The most important single event that happened in what is Western culture, and very specifically in the the, the history of Europe, happens in our text today. As the Apostle Paul and his band of missionaries set foot in Europe for the first time, share the gospel in Europe among an unreached people for the first time, and a woman named Lydia comes to believe in Jesus. It is here where the gospel makes its entry into Greece, which is into Europe for the first time. And, and the result is that over the next several hundred years, Christianity will spread like wildfire. And, and, and by 312 uh, AD, so a little over 300 years later, not even 300 years later from the story, uh, what we end up with is Christianity has such a significant influence that Constantine declares it a legal religion, embraces it as his religion, and a few years later, it becomes the primary religion that is endorsed by the Roman Empire. That begins the story of what is Western civilization. And it starts right here with this crazy moment that we call the Macedonian Call. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Uh, I grew up in church, okay? I was a churchy kid. My mom and dad had me in church all the time. And so I didn't do Boy Scouts I grew up in, in a tribe of, of, of uh, a Baptist church called Southern Baptist, or I like to use the term Great Commission Baptists. <clears throat> and in that tribe, we had this Boy Scout-like program called RAs, Royal Ambassadors, and it was, the whole idea was you get boys together, and we would work on badges, we, w- we would learn how to use tools and, and, and knives, we could start a fire with a flint, you know what I mean, all that crazy stuff, went on camping trips. A lot of horseplay, a lot of messing around, and causing trouble, but having a good time with leaders who loved us. We even had these goofy-looking blue and yellow vests that we had patches from all over when we we would complete a, a, you know kind of like Boy Scouts. You complete something, you get a patch to put on this like felt blazer, and and felt really important, you know, when you did that. But the other thing that happened in this program every week is that we would have. A missionary story. It was a missions program that was designed to tell you about the missionaries that were going all over the world telling people about Jesus. And so every week we would open a map. They would open a, uh, you know, have a story. It would be in a book. We'd read about missionaries. This is before they could show videos and PowerPoint and stuff like this. And so you, you just, it was all in a book. And you know, as most boys, what, what you would do is you would look at that moment and go, oh, it was fun up till now, but now this is going to be boring, right? Uh, what some of you were thinking about the sermon starting, right? Uh, boring. Uh, uh, and so um, you, you would have this moment. But what happened is a steady rhythm of that started building something in me. I didn't even know what was going on. Week after week after week, being told about people who had given their lives to the cause of missions, going to crazy places in the world, preaching Christ, planting churches, caring for the needs of people, loving people in the gospel, and going sometimes to the really hard places in the world. And, and, and so what happened for me out of that is I began to have this value for the nations that I think is a very biblical value of, of caring. But it was here, like it was emphasized almost every year, this idea of the Macedonian call. And to me, it sounded like a guy, you know, playing Red Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Paulie right over, right? You know, uh, you have this moment where this man, Paul has this vision where he's pleading In the vision, a man from Macedonia, which is part of modern-day Greece, pleading with Paul to come. And as a result, Paul realizes that that is the call of the Holy Spirit to go to what at that point in time was an unreached, unengaged people. A people who were in a community where nobody had named the name of Jesus. Nobody had preached the gospel. Nobody had shared Jesus with them at all. And now they are going to this spot. And the story tells us about the first person who comes to faith in Jesus as they enter this region called Macedonia. What we do is we come here this morning and we live in the vortex of a culture that is so self-absorbed and self-engaged that we think the most important thing in the world is me and, and I want to make my life great. And so we pursue all kinds of things. Our culture is just inundating us with messages that say it's all about you and the way to happiness is to do all that you can for yourself. And what happens is, is like here we are in this culture struggling with how to make sense of the world and we're not happy. We're being told over and over again that the greatest goal of your life is your personal happiness. Pursue it. And the harder we pursue our own personal happiness, the the less happy, the less joyful we become. And, And for a lot of you, this may have filtered into your Christianity where you have, like, you would never articulate it this way. But in very real ways, you've reduced God down to to the one whose primary purpose is your personal happiness. You've taken the American dream and turned it spiritual and said, now, if God is real, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to be happy. And and so, for many of us in here, our version of Christianity, our version of God is no bigger than our version of the American dream. And in the Bible, the, the scriptures are always calling us to something that gives true and lasting joy something that is deeper and more meaningful and part of this is understanding what's happening in the Macedonian call listen here's let me just lay it on the line this is a little different sermon lay it on the line this morning I want to challenge you to care about the nations I want you to love the mission of the gospel I want you to see that maybe the reason we're struggling with our happiness is because we, we think God it is to be about me instead of me being about God to the nations. That, that we see the, the, the mission of God as all consuming and we are being invited into something that is way more significant than us. That, that this morning in Genesis, you're part of Genesis here this morning, we matter to God. But we are also part of something that is way bigger than our gathering in a school gymnasium here on a Sunday morning. That what's going on here eternally matters. Yet, we are being invited into a mission that is way bigger than this. And that the nations matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. And so, as I have have this, this tendency to look to myself, to navel gaze and to turn in on me. Anybody have that problem with me? Can I get an amen? Yes. All right? The scriptures keep trying to pull my chin up and have me look at two big things. I, I want you to see this morning. the first is that this, the, the chin up is to see the glorious God with a global mission. We, we can tend to think that all that matters is me and the people right around me. And, and the scriptures are always calling me to see the glorious, glorious God. The, the, the hugeness and beauty and sovereignty and power of this all-knowing, all-wise, eternal, holy God. And what happens is I have a big view of me and end up with a small view of God. And the Bible is calling me to, to, to be drawn in to sing songs and to say prayers and open scripture and have my view of God expand, expand, expand until I see small me, big God with a huge mission. That's, that's the way to joy, just so you know. That's the way to finding meaning and purpose in life. But in the midst of this, the Scriptures also lift my chin to see the infinite need of, the, of lost and dying people around the world. That, that as we read the Bible, we see this, this global God who has a mission to reach people from all the nations. And it becomes a, a, a crazy major theme. In Genesis 12, God calls this guy named Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. But he says, part of the promise that God makes the nation is that all the peoples on earth will be blessed Because of you. Here we see God saying, I have a global mission. It is not down to one family. It is not down to one people. It is not down to one region. God's plan from the beginning was a global mission where all the people of the earth would be blessed. We see all kinds of psalms that have phrases like, let the nations be glad. Let the nations praise you. Draw the nations to me. I mean, there's this beautiful mission in the Old Testament where even the Hebrew people were told, you exist so the nations will know who God is. But what the Old Testament people said is, we exist to prove that we're better than all the nations. And they, they, they never understood this, this to the nations aspect. And so Jesus shows up, and what we see is Jesus saying phrases like this in Matthew 24. That the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to, and the, the phrase in the, in the Greek language is panta ta ethne. All the, and the word is ethne, nations. And then the end will come. Jesus says, let me, let me tell you when I'm returning. When the gospel gets to all the nations. And if you, you hear that word, you understand, we get our word ethnic groups. Ethnicity. Ethne. From that word. Well, the Bible's speaking of nations, we live in 21st century world where the nation state has become the dominant political influence that is not the way it 's always been when the bible 's talking about the nations it 's talking about people groups, people who are very specifically identified by a common language, common common geography, common sense of, of, of identity, common uh, ideologies, common often common spirituality that there are distinct ethnic groups in fact, around the world, there are uh, around seventeen thousand distinct Ethnos, ethnic groups in the nation. And, and what the scripture says, God's purpose is to reach all the nations. So Jesus, in his final word, says, Go make disciples of Pontotai, all the nations. That's our commission. And what we see in Acts, this study we've been doing is how God is beginning that mission. And he has risen up Paul. This band of missionaries that are traveling, and as they travel, they are going to people who have never heard the gospel. And in this moment, as God forbids them to go other places, we'll come back to that in a minute. In this moment, there is Paul seeing a vision of a man who doesn't look like him, who doesn't talk like him, who doesn't see the world like him, who doesn't understand anything about his spirituality. But in this vision, he hears the man crying out, come to Macedonia and help us. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear that cry. I want you to hear this man who's never heard of Jesus saying, will somebody show up and help us? Will somebody show up here and teach us who the true and living God is? Will somebody give us hope? You saw this video of all these people engaging all these spiritualities, and we know from the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ is the true and living God, that these people are pursuing Spiritualities that lead them into uh, an eternal separation from God with no hope in the world. And in the midst of that, who is going to show up and say anything to them? And what we do is in our American version of Christianity, we come into a church, we get very comfortable, we want people to feel good about this, and, and this is not really ever on our radar. And it should be. It should be. I will challenge that every believer in this room, every Christian has a part to play in the gospel going to Pantata Ethnos, to all the nations. This is not the job of a select few like Paul. It is the calling for every Christian to be involved. Check this slide out, of all the nations. There are I bought myself a fancy little laser pointer for you this week, all right? It was Carla. Carla said, if you're gonna be showing maps and showing stuff on a screen, you, you, you need a laser pointer. So I got a good one. See this, 70, 70, approximately 7,283 unreached people groups in the world. Of, of 17,000 people groups that exist in the world, over 7,200 are considered unreached. Let me define an unreached people. An unreached people group is a people group that virtually has 0% Christians, very few believers, there's not a strong enough presence of, of Christians in that people group to actually have any hope of reaching that people for Christ. They, they, have not, they have not heard, they do not know, they have not experienced anybody telling them about Jesus. In most of these people groups, they will be born They will grow up and go to school. They will live their lives and get married. They will get a job. They will grow old, and then they will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus, without ever having somebody hand them a Bible, without anyone ever looking at them and saying, there is hope for forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. There are over 7,000 people groups. It is about half of the world's population. Do you see this? When we get comfortable in our Christianity and make it about me and don't lift our chin, we're looking at half of the world saying, as long as I'm happy, I don't care. I don't care if you go into eternity without Christ, without ever hearing the name of Jesus. Half the world's population, which means there are over 155,000 people every single day who go into a Christless eternity with no hope in the world. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15 says, How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not, never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul, who wrote this text, is also the missionary who saw this vision, is reminding us that if he doesn't go, if he doesn't show up and isn't living on mission, if he isn't showing up in places like this, how will people hear if somebody doesn't go? And how will they go unless they're sent? Now, here's what I I want you to hear. Not everybody is going to end up, after this sermon, signing up to go do international missions. It's possible that some of you should. It's possible that we should send out some people to go Live the rest of their lives on a crazy call. It's possible that some of you should, who are starting to eye retirement should stop thinking about playing golf and living on a beach and maybe go join a mission among an unreached people group and spend the last years of your life doing that. It's possible that some of you teenagers and young adults that are in this need to, to think about where you're at in life and realize that maybe, just maybe, the reason you were angry and struggling to make sense of the world and the reason that you are unhappy is because you have way too small a vision for your own life. And maybe God has something way bigger for you. That living the American dream and getting it is a small vision for your life. Making millions and millions and millions of dollars is actually a really small vision. And and some of you need to wrestle with that. That that maybe, man, we're in this epidemic of of young people who are just walking away from the faith. Maybe the reason they're walking away is because we have spoon-fed them a small God and a big them. And we need to challenge, all be challenged with big God, global mission, and the losses of the nations, and maybe I'm supposed to give my life to this in some way, shape, or form. But Paul does say, and how will they go unless they are sent? There are in the story of Acts all these local churches who get planted, and most people stay in their town, and most people live their lives in that city for the cause of the gospel. They come together like we are this morning, and they worship, and they love Jesus, and they're doing this together. And what, what, what the scriptures are calling us to is a discipleship culture. We're starting community groups. This is what we're talking about, a discipleship culture that will call out the called and then be active in sending them to the nations. That, that for most of you, what the, the, the outcome of this text is let's make this church a church that loves to be a sending culture. That we get involved in making this happen. And so that's what this text, our text this morning is all about that. It is the story <coughs> of this what we call the second missionary journey of Paul. Now... What's happened a, a little bit previously in the story is that Paul, the apostle, had this guy named Barnabas that he was hanging out with, and they were going around the world, but they had a, a parting of ways, uh, a, a conflict, and, and we talked about that this week. So Paul grabs this guy named Silas, and he starts journeying, and what he does is he first goes back to the places where he visited on his first missionary journey to strengthen the churches, share the gospel, to make much of Jesus. And then there's this really weird story about this guy named Timothy. But the main thing I want you to see, there are two things that happen with Timothy. The first is that you have this really young man. Based on the language that is used later in the New Testament when Paul writes to him, best estimates are that he is a late adolescent. He is somewhere between 16 and 20 years old at this point in time. But he is like... As a disciple he 's being nurtured in such a way that the churches in these two cities are going, "Man, this is the guy," and Paul wants to take Timothy with him that, that more than likely Timothy came to faith in Jesus, hearing Paul preach on his first missionary journey and now there 's been a few years and Timothy has been discipled and, and he 's growing as a Christian and this this sending culture and now that culture is looking at Timothy and going, "Man, he would be a great pastor for our church, he would be a great elder." But Paul, you, you probably need to take this guy because he is the one, he, like, we, he should go. And Paul wants to take him to him. And then we have this weird story of, but Paul decided he needed to be circumcised. And then you go back to the previous chapter where Paul stood up and said, no, we don't, like, a Gentile does not need to be circumcised to have the faith. Why would Paul circumcise Timothy? And it's kind of weird. And again, if you don't know what circumcision is, look it up on Wikipedia, but we're going to keep moving, Okay. <clears throat> But the bottom line is in this, this painful surgery, why would Paul do this to Timothy? If the reason that Paul circumcises Timothy is because he flinches and for a moment thinks that Timothy needs to be circumcised in order to be saved, he has violated the very gospel that he is standing on. We know that from chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas stood strong to say, Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Do not need to embrace the Old Testament law. We are saved by grace, through grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you add anything to that, you have a different gospel. They've made that argument. So that can't be Paul's motivation. It cannot be Paul looking at this going, we need to circumcise Timothy because if he's not circumcised, he's not really in the faith. The issue is not here that circumcising Timothy will do something for his salvation. The issue is here. Here is the fact that T- Timothy not being circumcised may be a barrier to other people hearing and believing the gospel. See, so he, he, his mom's Jewish, his dad's a Greek, and therefore, when he was a kid, he should have like his mom should have been faithful to the covenant and had him circumcised. He's considered Jewish, but everybody knows he's Greek. Like his dad is Greek, and so. The question that Jewish believers and non-believers, but especially those that they're going to be trying to reach when they go to these communities, they all know who Timothy is and they know his dad's Greek, which means, hmm, are you really a Jewish guy or not? And so his not being circumcised could be something that sidetracks the mission. And so they agree and and they have this done so that, you know, I don't know how you ask that question. Trust me, we are not asking it here. Nobody's going to catch you at the front door and go, hey. Are you circumcised? <laughs> yes. How do we know? They're like, not happening here. I don't know how you have this conversation, but it mattered in Jewish life. And now a Jewish, a young man who had Jewish faith and roots, traveling with Paul and, Bar, uh, Paul and Silas, who would come into towns, if all, they, all the people who, who they would come to preach with, all they could get fixated on was the fact that here's this guy you have traveling with you who is not in our tribe then what would happen is that people who need to hear the gospel will get sidetracked on that issue. And so the easiest thing, the simplest thing for the cause of the gospel, advancing, was to circumcise this guy. So he, he, this question does not become a barrier to the gospel going forward. There are times when we live in certain cultures, in certain places, there are certain issues that I have absolute freedom in Christ to do and to live but by doing this and living this way, it can become a barrier to the gospel going forward to people. There are stories of missionaries all over the place who have freedom to do certain things, but when they go to cultures where those things are, are taboo, forbidden, become, like, like they, they will go and they will limit their freedom, and they will do certain things to make sure that that doesn't become the main issue. There are some cultures where to show up and have a beer in a restaurant would cause people in that context to go, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian. I, we, our people don't do we We don't see it. And it, it could harm your witness, although in the context of Scripture, there is clarity that alcohol is a personal issue, an issue of freedom and license, that drunkenness is a sin. But, and so, so there are places where you go, no. For the cause of Christ. And that's kind of what's going on here. And so now they don't want to be a barrier, but what happens in the story is it tells us that these churches were strengthened, and they are growing. These are now multiplying churches. Now listen to what, why this is important. They are no longer an unreached, unengaged people. They have a church. Now that church can live on mission in that city. And Paul can go on. And so he takes his guys and he starts traveling. And, and what he does, is he starts traveling. And, and I got another map for you because I want you to see what happens. So, so uh, I know that the, the, the things are small, but Antioch, where they take off, is right there they've traveled up through these towns right here that is in this region called Galatia, okay? Galatia is in modern day Turkey. And the text tells us that they started traveling this direction because they desired to go first to Asia. And we're told that the Holy Spirit forbid them to go to Asia. So this whole area that is called Asia, a lot of cities, very important cities. And what is modern day Turkey? Uh, and, and Paul wanted to go there, but we're told by Luke that they were forbidden. So then he decides, I think instead of going south, we'll go north. And he wants to go to Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus tells them no. What's going on here? Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting moment in the story somehow the Spirit of God is forbidding them to go. Now, I used to grow up thinking, okay, what's going on here is that Paul's like driving his car, and he tries to turn left, and it just won't go that way. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, or, you know, you have the Holy Spirit going, stop in the name of, like, something like that. I don't know what's happening. But maybe, this is actually Luke not telling us what happened in the moment, but he is now looking back on this and going, man, Paul kept wanting to go, but, this happened and that happened there were all these crazy circumstances and events for some reason it was obviously the holy spirit was not letting us go this is our life sometimes listen realize that, that as we try to live for the glory of christ and the cause of missions there will be times where we feel like hey man this is what i'm supposed to do and the lord closes that door i saw this happen in my own daughter's life she knew that she was going to go spend her life in haiti she knew it and the lord he closed that door and it sent her on a different direction. And man, she's loving Jesus in the city of Chicago. And she is reaching the nations in Chicago now. Literally, she got a job right after she got married where she is working for this Christian organization. And she is meeting with immigrants, teaching them how to read and getting them involved in education every single week. God has put her where he wants. It's not, it wasn't her plan. And the Holy Spirit went, nope, I noticed what you want, but this is not what's going to happen. And now she is like living the mission of God. She is not going to the nations. The nations are coming to her. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes that's where our lives work. This is what's going on here. Yet, what they do is they end up here on the, this little beach town right there. The name Mythia literally means beachhead. And so they're hanging out at the beach, you know, having, having a, you know, maybe, you know, sunbathing, chilling. And whatever's going on, Paul has this vision that says, how about you come on a Greek vacation? How about you come over here? Now, Uh, a lot of us here would be like, I would love to have that vision. God, I'm gonna go home and pray that you call me to go to Greece for two weeks, see some islands, right? (laughs) I mean, it sounds kind of good. And and at this point in time, this is like one of the most important regions of the world, Macedonia, this area where they end up going, okay? Up here. Am I boring you with the map yet? By the way, I, I forgot to tell you this. Remember that whole story about RAs and how like Baptist kids grew up learning about where missionaries go? Did you realize that there was actually a study, and as they did this study, they came to find out that the kids who grew up in these Baptist churches like I did actually far excelled all of their other classmates in one specific educational uh, form. You know what it was? They all knew geography because they'd been little kids looking at world maps forever, Well, welcome to geography this morning. You will get a better grade on your geography test because you've been here. Macedonia and your world history. Macedonia here is part of Greece here, what we call modern-day Greece. Uh, But what's important is it's a place that was very proud, had a lot of culture, especially as the Greek Empire grew up, because it is where King Philip II and his unbelievably famous son, who I believe is the second most important person who ever lived in history, first being Jesus, uh, Alexander the Great came, were, were, were from that area. In fact, they're going to go to Philippi that is named after this person. Huge influence in the world and a very beautiful cultured area, but nobody had ever reached them with the gospel. And as they hear this Macedonian call, what they do is they jump on a boat. They go to this Samothrace race right there. It's a little island. There's day one of their boat trip. Day two, they are in a hurry to get there. They're not going to stop and enjoy a beachhead on a Greek island. They're going to get over here and get, make their way to Philippi, which is right there. Okay? And if I bored you with the map, I'm sorry, but Carla told me to get a laser pointer and do that, so that's why I did it. Okay? Those of you who don't know Carla, she's our church administrator. She's in Europe right now, so shame on her. Uh, anyway, <coughs> so, uh, but, but what happens is they get there, and when they get there, they share the gospel. Now, we find out in the story that there's not a lot of Jews here. And the reason, the way we find out this in the story is because Paul's method of preaching is to go to the synagogue first. But you had to have at least 10 Jewish males in the city who would gather to form a synagogue. And so when there's not a synagogue, what, what would happen is that they would, if there was a river or water in town, they would gather somewhere near the river, near water. And Paul finds out, hey, there's a spot where some of the Jewish people and, and, and people who love... The God of Israel will gather, but it's not a very big group. And when he gets there, it's just it's a group of women. There aren't even any men who show up there. And he preaches Christ. As he preaches Christ, he reaches this woman named Lydia. You're told Lydia is a seller of purple garments. That that is the equivalent of a fashion designer. She is, you know. Uh, it, it means she's super wealthy. She is part of setting culture and trends. She, like, purple was the color of royalty, and therefore everybody wanted to wear purple. And so she is selling you know, designer clothes. And as she does this, we're told she's actually from this region that was Asia. She's from one of the towns there, but she had transplanted in Philippi, probably to, to, to help expand her business to a more wealthy area. But she was also a worshiper of God, which means that somewhere in the story, somebody told her of the one true and living God, and she decided this was the God she was worshiping. And now she's gathering with a group of Jewish women on the riverside, and Paul shows up with his band of people. Which, by the way, now includes Luke. If you didn't notice it, the language went from we and them, or "for they and them, to we. We don't know when Luke joined the story, but somewhere in this journey to uh, Macedonia, Luke jumps on the story. The author of this this book is now part of the story. And we went to the riverside, and there Paul preached Christ. He told this group of people how, from the scriptures how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament story, and he was the Messiah. And this woman named Lydia, we're told that the Lord opened her heart to believe. This is the way it works. We send people. Create a sending culture and we send people. Those people show up and sometimes the first time they preach in Williams Carey, Carries uh, who was who's the father of modern mission it was like eight or nine years before the first convert but eventually the steady working of people in an unreached people sharing the gospel now somebody believes and then somebody else believes and then we then then, then those people plant a church and, and when they plant a church that church starts loving their city and guess we guess what that unreached people is an unreached people no more there is a gospel community that can begin to carry out the and fulfill the purpose of god in that community and and what happens is is the, 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 the gospel reaches and fills the lives of people, and then individuals are changed, and those individuals are changed to join a church. I have, I have another video for you this morning that will just help challenge you, and then when the video gets over, I'm just gonna end my sermon quickly by sharing you a few ways that every one of us can be part of this mission. But this is a story of... of, of it's two two young women who gave their lives to this cause, who went to Brazil to reach people who were really hard to reach. Now, Brazil is not a totally unreached people, but there are pockets of the city uh, of, of Brazil that are really unreached with, with evangelical witness. But in the context of this, they they developed a friendship, and it looks a lot like the Lydia story. Check this out.
2: Brazilians are so loud. I-
3: They're loving, they're kind. And
2: they are always laughing.
3: They're touchy-feely people.
2: They're very busy. If they're not at work or at school, they're stuck in traffic.
3: That's Brazilians for me. They're just so incredible, but human in the end.
2: They just have such a hard time trusting anything that comes after something you say about Jesus they already have this idea this false idea of who he is and there's nothing about Jesus that is life giving to them.
3: então você não deve fazer isso e aquilo e se você faz isso Deus Deus não vai te amar isso me afastou muito de frequentar as igrejas e de Deus
2: that's hard It's hard to continue day after day, when, um, sorry, Lord, why, why am I here when these people that like you've let me love, like you are not what they want.
3: And there have been plenty of days until today that I just want to give up, but I just keep reminding myself that the power of salvation is not in my hands. And it's all in Jesus. And He is so capable and so able of changing their hearts because He has changed mine. She ended up sending me a text one day and said, I'm upset. I'm. Um, not necessarily enjoying the way that my life's going and I want to change and in that moment I just put it all out there and said I'm doing about 500 things with my church today if you'd like to come along you're welcome to any of it and she was like absolutely I was so surprised but she said absolutely let's go
2: with Amanda the Brazilian Amanda she actually asked me to study the word with her and just last week when we were reading she was like brought to tears that God would love her even though she she has come to the realization that she is a sinner that she is separated from God but the truth that he loves her when all she has known is that she's a sinner God judges her she was like there's no other God who says this
3: I still don't total confiance in this, but I'm looking What love that he
2: has demonstrated to her? Like, this city is huge, this world is huge, and he cares about the separation of one of his creation. That's crazy. I don't know. I find not video early, but that's crazy. I'm sorry. So the greatest thing ever happened last night. Yeah. (laughs) Our friend Amanda chose to put her faith in Jesus.
3: I know that it's so real. I know that the Holy Spirit is moving in her. And it's just amazing to see Amanda in the purest form. And just understanding what she has won in Christ. And the victory that he has won for her.
2: But now comes like the most exciting part of her knowing relationship with God. And God is going to use her to bring others to know Him and to... I mean, she has a redemption story. She has a from death to life story. This is a reality that God is saving people and He is pursuing young adults in Sao Paulo and He is not giving up.
1: That's pretty good, right? How will they hear unless they are sent? The Macedonian call. You, you, you came in this, uh, or as we started that, the first video, hopefully everybody in here got a, a card. Everybody got one? Pull that out. I want you to look at it. Because just like the man from Macedonia, you are holding a card. So is there anybody who didn't get a card, one of these cards? All right, you all have one. You're holding in your hand a card that is telling you the story of one of the 100 largest population ethnos, people groups on planet Earth. The the, the card you have represents a people group where if somebody doesn't go, there's not a strong enough gospel witness among a people that if somebody does not go to them, they will not hear. I want you to look in the eyes of the person on that card right now. Look in the eyes. And hear that person crying out, will somebody come here and help us? The question is, what do we do about it? Should you go? Maybe, but, but how can you, like, what does that matter for you here this morning? And I want to close my sermon by quickly sharing five different ways that every church and every individual, every follower of Jesus can be part of the gospel to the nations. So, so here we go, five, five things that can that that can happen for us and in us that we need to be diligent about you know this matters to me it matters to your elders we are still in this tribe that is great commission baptist and sometimes people hear the word baptist are like oh wait you're one of those churches and you come in we're not like a lot of baptist churches but listen to me we won't leave this tribe because the tribe takes this seriously every time you come to a meeting with folks who are part of that tribe come together. They're talking about this task. I was at a gathering of the, uh, the, the national gathering this summer and, and watched as they had a screen on the stage, a giant thing on the stage that was opaque. And person after person after person walked up and, and identified themselves, gave often fake names because this tribe you're giving your partnership is sending them to the nations and many of them could not share their real names and real identities because they were going to places in the world that were unreached and engaged and it was dangerous to be a believer yet they're going so, so what can we do here this morning? How can I get my eyes off me, of see the glory of the global God, and also be drawn into the, the need of the lostness of the nations this morning? Five things real quick. We can partner. We can make sure that we have relationships with people who are sending. And that's what we as a church are, are passionate. We have our own uh, people who've been sent, like the Mosca's, uh, and, and, and part, our partnership in Ecuador. We're intentional about engaging the nations. Uh, we're hoping that God will give us more uh, direct partnerships. And we partner with the, these organizations that are intentional about planting churches and taking the gospel all over the world. It's why we as a church are part of the Acts 29 network and part of Great Commission Baptist. We partner for the cause of the gospel. When we can't go, we need to make sure that we are involved with groups who, who will. Second, we can send Meaning that we create a discipleship culture at Genesis that calls out the calls called and raises up people who will hear that call and will go. That we become a, an intentionally sending discipleship culture. That our community groups, and we're going to talk about here in just a minute, that we're challenging people to grow in their faith so that some of them will hear this call and then we we become involved in planting churches and preaching Jesus anywhere they go. Third, we can pray. We can pray. Throw this card in your Bible. Pull it out when you're doing your your Bible reading, your walk of the Lord. Pray for that specific people. Spend the next month or two just crying out to God. Go learn more about them. Go study where they're at and what they're doing, what's going on in that people group, and pray for how God can reach them. Ask God to raise up missionaries. Let your heart be shaped by a people who are not down the street. We need to care about our neighbors. This is not an either-or thing. It's a both-and. God's placed us here for Eureka, but we need to be involved in the nations. Pray for these people. We can give. We provide opportunities throughout the year, and a percentage of every dollar that comes to Genesis goes to our partners who are doing Great Commission work everywhere around the world. And so your generosity whether it's through a specific offering to, uh, like, our Christmas offering, our Advent Conspiracy offering, or to other things that we do, or, or your ongoing giving to Genesis, just know that your generosity shows up in real checks that are going to our partner so that this task can keep going on. And so maybe the reason, like, we are the wealthiest nation in the world. Maybe the reason God has blessed us so much is so that we can be, a, that those who believe in Jesus can be an incredible blessing and be involved in the financing of this massive task. Pray about that, be generous. And last, we can go, we can go. Now, you say, well, who? All of us might consider this. I have a last slide, go, go back one. Do you have the, the other slide that we had? Oh, go, I'm sorry, go, yeah, go to that one, I'm sorry, thank you. Look at this, look at the options that are offered. What about in high school? Can you go, absolutely. There are places to go on short-term mission trips, we get you connected either with our church or with other organizations. Moms and dads, make this a goal. Save money now. You have, probably have a college savings fund. Maybe when your kids are 8 and 10 years old, you start putting aside money so you can send them to a crazy place in the world. Or the gap year. Maybe, that year. maybe you decide not to go straight to college, but you decide to go maybe spend a year somewhere overseas in that gap year. How about collegiate summer and semester missions? That while you're in college, you go spend a summer or, or go spend a whole semester somewhere overseas. There's an amazing program out of Midwestern Baptist Seminaries College, uh, Spurgeon College, That is actually having students come spend a year there. They do a year, uh, a semester of college and then they spend a semester sending them to crazy places in the world. Or Young Adult Journeyman. That's a two-year program that when you graduate uh, college, you go spend two years somewhere overseas working with our missionaries. Or maybe there's career missionaries and professionals. Career missionaries are people who are sent by an agency who go overseas and are actually funded by the agency. Professionals are people who have specific skills that don't necessarily go with the agency but they go alongside to help plant churches and maybe be teachers or business people in the world. Every skill in here, there's somewhere in the world where if the Lord called you, you could use your professional skills to go overseas. And maybe retirees, all kinds of options for people who wanna go. So what do we do? We obey. We obey. The nations matter to Christ. They matter to God. They should matter to us. Amen? And so, so this is just like this Macedonian call in my life from, from the time I was a little kid is a reminder that there are unreached peoples. And every Christian, every church should, should, should care. And, and what happens when we care is we lift that. This will cause us to lift our chin off of our little selves and see a grand global God with a great mission of reaching Pontotot of Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this service for you is a chance to know this God and this Jesus and this hope that is being offered. When Paul shows up and speaks to Lydia and when missionaries, people go to these crazy places and preach Christ. We want to offer that to you. So if you're here this morning and you are a, a fo- not a follower of Jesus, we would love to have a conversation. At the end of our service, we'll have people over here. We're going to worship here in a minute. And our band is going to come up and lead us in a few more songs as we lift our hearts to this global God and his son, Jesus, who gave us life for the redemption of the nations. And we're going to worship together and sing together. And if, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to have a conversation at the end of the service over here. Or maybe you're here today and you, you're struggling with other issues in life and you just need prayer. We would love to pray with you this morning. Whatever your needs are, uh, we, would, we would invite you over there either during the last couple songs or at the end of the service. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and this message has caught you and you're like, oh snap, I need to think about this. Come pray with us or, or make an appointment with me And let's talk about what this means for you, believer. The man of Macedonia just cried out, come over and help us. We need to be a part of that. Lord, we praise you and thank you and honor you for your good grace. And we thank you that your grace is to reach all the nations. We know that that is a sure thing but you've also commanded us and called us to be a part of it. So help us figure out our role in that great story. In your name I pray.